Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Rampage, AEW Dynamite, and Impact Wrestling. This is the Fallout Week after the Royal Rumble, so we're basically going to see what matches are going to start taking place at the Royal Rumble with Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar being the Royal Rumble winners. But without further ado, let's start off with the show. Raw opens up with Adam Pearce in the middle of the ring, letting the people know that Bobby Lashley will be defending his WWE Championship at their next premier live event, which is called the Elimination Chamber in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So they'll be back over in the Middle East, and this time they'll have the Elimination Chamber over there. Uh, Bobby Lashley and MVP come out, but here's the difference here. Bobby Lashley comes out, he's all happy, he has the WWE Championship around his waist, he's happy to be champion again, while MVP, he looks upset, he looks pissed, he walks down with a motive, he gets on the microphone and tells Adam Pearce that it's not fair that Bobby has to defend his WWE Championship inside Elimination Chamber, he just got done beating Brock Lesnar, what type of, what is he on, thinking that Bobby is going to be inside Elimination Chamber defending WWE Championship? Bobby asks Adam, who do we think he is? Bobby also mentioned that he should be celebrating his win over Brock Lesnar. And he mentions that on Saturday, Brock knew that he was a better mixed martial artist than Brock Lesnar. Bobby mentioned that he's a better amateur wrestler than Brock Lesnar and that he's a better champion than Brock Lesnar. And as soon as he says all this, Brock Lesnar comes out, and Brock Lesnar comes out in his ring gear, and he's smiling. He's not pissed off Brock. He's a smiley camper Brock Lesnar. He gets in the middle of the ring. He has a microphone, and he asks Bobby, what's the pride of saying you're a champion when you didn't beat me? He tells Bobby, listen, I'm not upset at you. I'm upset at Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman because they caused me to lose that championship. But he tells Bobby, listen, here's the thing. I went into the Royal Rumble last night, well, on Saturday, and I won the Royal Rumble. So what that means is I get to pick who I want to face at Mania, but don't worry, that isn't you. My choice is I'm going to face Roman Reigns. But here's where you do come in, though. It's going to be champion versus champion, title for title. And he starts throwing out the challenge to Bobby to have a WWE Championship match tonight. Now, you see Brock Lesnar start amplifying it up and antagonizing Bobby, calling him a coward, saying, what type of champion are you? And MVP's trying to calm Bobby down. And it gets to a point that Brock Lesnar calls Bobby a chicken crap. But he doesn't say crap. He says the actual uh, word. And MVP is really trying to calm Bobby down because Bobby's trying to take his vest off. He's trying to take his jacket. I mean, his suit jacket off. I mean, he is ready. And Brock is so amping it up. And... MVP finally has to grab Bobby, talk to him in his ear, and actually calm him down and lets Lesnar know that Lesnar's request has been denied and that he has to go to the back of the line and earn another opportunity just like everybody else. So you see Bobby and MVP start walking up the ramp. Brock is there just screaming at Bobby, calling him a chicken crap, chicken crap, chicken crap in the WWE people in the back are working their butt off because, I mean, they're censoring it. They're muting that button so hard every time. And you see MVP and Bobby still walk up the ramp. They stop there for a moment, and Adam Pearce gets on the mic and 
uh, reaffirms everybody that Bobby will be defending the WWE Championship at Elimination Chamber. And tonight there will be some qualifying matches. Brock looks at Pierce and tells him that he wants into the chamber. And Pierce says, you know what? We already have our first entrance into the chamber. It will be Brock Lesnar. So Brock has been added to the Elimination Chamber match where I haven't even doing a qualifying match. And so now we got Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley, the first two competitors for the WWE Championship Elimination Chamber matchup. And this will also be Brock's first Elimination Chamber. So this is going to be a fun Elimination Chamber already off rip. Just want to let that be known. After this segment, we get our first match of the night. It's Rhea Ripley going against Nikki A.S.H. Rhea Ripley wins the match by pinfall when Nikki was able to hit uh, the Riptide after countering uh, Nikki's neckbreaker. Again, Rhea Ripley, I hope she's out of this feud. I hope she goes on to other things. I don't know what other things she can go on to because the plan right now, it's kind of stagnant for everybody the women's division in limbo, and I'll get to that at the end of the Raw uh, recap, and you'll understand what I mean by this. Uh, after this, we get to the backstage promo, well, backstage area, we get the Alpha Academy uh, Academic Challenge Round 2, and this time it's the scooter race, and the competitors that will be competing in the scooter race is representing Team RK Bro is Riddle, and representing American, well, Alpha Academy is Chad Gable. So the rules of the event was that you have to compete 50 complete 50 laps around the arena and finish with a uh, lap around the wrestling ring. And throughout the rest of the night, we would get updates all throughout the show about how many laps Gable and Riddle have uh, completed until they hit the ringside. Okay. Uh, after this, we get The Miz going against Dominic Mysterio with Rey Mysterio in his corner. The Miz wins the match by pinfall when The Miz got Rey Mysterio uh, ejected from the ringside area. When Miz fell down and made the ref believe that Rey tripped him. So once the referee uh, kicked Rey Mysterio from ringside, you see Dominic looking at Rey. And at this moment, The Miz capitalizes and hits the Skull Crusher finale on Dominic and pins... Dominic for the win. I don't know what they're trying to do with Ray and the Miz, but I can see them like trying to do something with those two, leading into probably a match just like a filler for at Elimination Chamber. I can see it. After this, we have the KO show, and Kevin Owens' guest for this week is Seth Rollins. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins recap Seth's match that he had at the Royal Rumble with Roman Reigns. After seeing the video package of Seth getting destroyed by Roman by taking all those chair shots. Kevin Owens tells Seth that Roman got himself initially disqualified because he knew that he couldn't beat Seth Rollins. And Kevin Owens does tell Seth that in Kevin Owens' heart, Seth is the universal champion. Seth lets Kevin Owens know that even though he didn't win the championship at the Royal Rumble, he does own a large chunk of real estate in the head of Roman Reigns. And that the next time he faces Roman, he will be bringing back the universal championship to Monday Night Raw. Seth does let Kevin Owens know that he does have a surprise announcement. And the announcement is that Seth Rollins has been entered into the WWE Elimination Chamber match at Elimination Chamber. So now we have Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, and Brock Lesnar inside that chamber. Kevin Owens tries to play a mind games on Rollins by telling Rollins that he needs to tell Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville that 
he needs to let Kevin Owens inside the chamber without qualifying because if he doesn't, Seth, o- Seth Rollins is going to walk out. Seth Rollins doesn't believe that he needs to do this, so he's not doing it. And we end up with our next qualifying matchup, which is Austin Theory going against Kevin Owens. The winner of this match will be inside the Elimination Chamber. Austin Theory does win the match by pinfall when Theory kicks the middle rope as Kevin Owens was trying to get back into the ring. So basically the middle rope hits Kevin Owens in the nuts and Austin Theory grabs him, hits him with the ATL for the win. After this, we have Angelo Dawkins with Montez Ford in his corner going against Dolph Ziggler. Angelo Dawkins wins the match by pinfall when he hits his finish, the double underhook uh, spinning slam on Dolph Ziggler for the win. They did this match because they were in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio, and... The Bengals just won, so now they're going off to the Super Bowl, and Angelo Dawkins is born, and he's raised. He's a hometown boy. Cincinnati's his home. So they gave the hometown boy a match, and he won in his hometown. That's basically the reason why we had this matchup here. Anyway, now it's time for the finish of the scooter race between Gable and Riddle. Gable does win the scooter race with help from Otis, because as Gable and Riddle were coming down the entrance uh, ramp, Gable falls off his scooter. Riddle makes it to the finish line, but before he can cross it, Otis comes out of nowhere and body tackles Riddle off the scooter. So now Riddle's off the scooter. Otis is standing there next to Riddle on the ground. You see Gable get up. He sees Otis standing there. He gets on his scooter, hurry up over to the finish line, does a winner's lap around Riddle, and then crosses the finish line. So now it's one and one. And you see Riddle get a microphone. He says that that wasn't right. That wasn't fair. And that this whole thing lost the integrity of the race. Gable said he didn't need the cheat to win. But he does get Riddle a match with Otis right now. So that's where we're at now. We get Otis going against Riddle. But before the match even begins, Adam Pearce comes out and announces that the winner of this match will be gifted a slot inside the WWE Championship matchup at Elimination Chamber inside the Elimination Chamber. Riddle wins the match by pinfall. He does this when he hits two floating bros on Otis, one when Otis was laid out in the ring and the other while he was standing up. And the one while he was standing up, that's the one that really took it over the edge and made Riddle win the match. So Riddle is now inside the Elimination Chamber. After this, we have Bianca Belair going against Carmella. Bianca wins the match by pinfall when Bianca hits the KOD for the win. After this, we get our final Elimination Chamber qualifying match between AJ Styles and Rey Mysterio. AJ does win the match by pinfall when Rey hits his senton on AJ, and then AJ was able to hold on to Rey Mysterio's legs and transition it over into the Styles Clash for the win. So now... The match has been set at Elimination Chamber for the WWE Championship. Inside the Elimination Chamber, it is AJ Styles, Riddle, Austin Theory, Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, and Brock Lesnar, all for the WWE Championship. After this, now it's time for the main event segment. Ronda Rousey coming out to the ring, and she talks about who she's going to pick, whether she's going to go after Becky and prove that she's better than Becky or go after Charlotte and make Becky be on her undercard. Becky comes out and asks Ronda, who are you going to face at Mania? Because this is the big time. And when you're on the big time show, you're wasting time. That means you're making me lose big time money. 
So Becky pulls her arm out and says, okay, come on. Who are you going to pick? Come on, come on. She puts her mic into Ronda's face. Ronda grabs Becky's arm, hits her with a judo throw, tells Becky that she will get her answer on Friday, and then leaves the ring. Once Ronda leaves the ring, you see Becky saying that Ronda's afraid of her. Ronda fears her. And then you see Lita's music hits, and Lita comes out. Lita walks to the ring, she plays mind games with Becky and saying, wow, can you believe that? How rude of her. Becky is, like, joining in on Lita saying how rude Ronda Rousey is and all that type of stuff. And you can see that Becky's starting to slowly catch on to what Lita's doing, and she asks, okay, what are you doing out here? Lita says, point blank, I want a title shot with you at Elimination Chamber. Becky tells her no. So then you see Lita say, well, if you're afraid of me, you could just say that you're afraid of me. Becky says, I'm not afraid of you. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'll accept your challenge. Then you see Lita get out of the ring excited with a smile on her face as she just basically manipulated and got Becky to do exactly what she wanted her to do, which is accept her challenge by making her say that she's not afraid of her. Basically, she played mind games or as they would like to call it reverse psychology on Becky Lynch and it was a great moment that after Becky said that she agreed you saw even in Becky's face like oh no I just agreed to that challenge so Becky was trying to recollect herself but it's already too late so at Elimination Chamber the pay-per-view you will see Becky defend her Raw Women's Championship against Lita and inside the WWE uh, Championship Elimination Chamber you have Austin Theory Brock, Riddle, AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley, and Seth Rollins. Now, let me get into my reasoning of why I say what I said about Rhea Ripley. I said that I don't know what they're going to do with Rhea Ripley right now because the Raw women's division, well, the title picture is mighty thin. The only people that are contenderships for the Raw Women's Championship right now is technically only Bianca Belair. And, like, if they do more stuff with Rhea Ripley, we can get Rhea back to that spot where she's supposed to be. But other than that, nobody else. They got to catapult Liv Morgan some way, somehow, to do it. But I don't see them wanting to do that right now. They put Lita in there because, well, we're going to get Lita versus Becky. That's cool to see. That's fine. But, again, we're losing quality star power with our female competitors on the Raw division, and maybe even the SmackDown division, but I know for sure the Raw division. So, again, I hope they do something just in case we don't get a certain match that we're supposed to get at Mania, but we'll have to see as the ball continues to roll down the hill on the way to WrestleMania. That's all I'm trying to say here. I want to know what they're going to do with Rhea Ripley since she's now out of this feud with Nikki A.S.H. I don't know what else you can do with her except for trying to put her back into the Raw Women's Championship picture. But uh, we'll have to see what they'll do more down the line in the upcoming weeks. Anyway, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now to NXT. They do announce that in for the next two weeks, NXT will be on Sci-Fi, so Don't look for NXT on USA Network for the next two weeks. Look for it on the Sci-Fi Network. Just want to throw that out there. Now, the first match to start with on NXT was a six-man tag team uh, match between Imperium, Gunther, and Marcel Bartel and Fabian Egner going against 
Dynamize, the Creed Brothers, and Roderick Strong with uh, Malcolm Bivens and Ivy now in the corner. Imperium win the match by pinfall when Gunther powerbombs Brutus Creed for the win. This was a great way to open up the show. You had six guys who couldn't stand. You had a team, couldn't stand another team. I mean, it was a good way just to start the show off, especially with Roderick getting big booted in the face by Gunther in the beginning before the bell even rings to set the tone of the matchup. You could tell that this was going to be a good match, and this was, was, if anything, the match of the night for NXT. The first match was literally the match of the night. After this, we had an in-ring promo from the stable Toxic Attraction. And the main point of it was that Gigi and JC Jane announced that at Vengeance Day, they will be defending their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships against Indy Harwell and Persia Parada. Then as soon as that announcement gets announced, Kaylee Ray comes out with her green baseball bat and tells Mandy that, okay, now it's her turn to make the match that everyone wants to see. Kaylee going against Mandy for the NXT Women's Championship. Mandy tells her no. Then you hear the jaw jacking between Mandy and Kaylee Ray, but at the end of the jaw jacking, Kaylee Ray lets Mandy know that before the night is done, she will be getting her championship matchup. Mandy states that she doubts this happens, and as soon as she says this, she gets slapped by Kaylee Ray. Gigi and JC run back into the ring to go after Kaylee, but leave the ring as soon as Kaylee grabs her green baseball bat. So you see Toxic Attraction basically get ran off by Kaylee Ray holding the green baseball bat, but Kaylee still follows Toxic Attraction out to the parking lot, where ultimately... Kaylee does kidnap both Gigi and JC and drives off with them in a SUV. But before she does leave the parking lot with them in her freaking car, she tells Mandy that she's coming for her later. And we would get segments throughout the night of Kaylee Ray chasing down Mandy Rose throughout the NXT building. And even in one segment, you saw them like, I believe like in the little cafeteria, little spot, uh, Mandy Rose just being exhausted because Kaylee Ray has been chasing her throughout the building. She's trying to just catch herself and catch her breath, but Kaylee Ray comes out from underneath like a, a cabinet area and like pour a whole bowl of spaghetti onto Mandy, then grabs a big uh, sheet of cake and throw it on Mandy. And that will lead into later in the night when we finally get to see them literally at the end of the show. But I'll get to that at the end of the NXT show. Anyway, next match that we do get is Cora Jade going against Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel wins the match by pinfall when Raquel was able to counter a move that uh, Cora Jade was trying to do, but turn it into the Chicona Bomb for the win. After the match, Raquel goes over to Cora Jade, helps her up, and tells her that, let's go win the Dusty. So, Raquel and Cora Jade are now partners, and now they're going to be a part of the Women's uh, Dusty Tag Team Classic that's going to be starting up within the next couple of weeks. So that's one thing that happens. Another thing that does happen throughout this match, though, is that towards the end of it, you start seeing a black screen, like, keep coming onto the show and but they'll still have like the audio of the show going on as the black screen was there and you could tell why the black screen was there and let me give you guys a little hint anytime the black screen ever shows up on a professional wrestling uh show it's usually like a wardrobe malfunction happening and 
they always try to keep their camera off of Raquel after the black screen went off and you went back to what's going on in the middle of the ring. Eric, they'll show you Cora Jade like laid out in the ring, but you'll see like Raquel Gonzalez, like like her leg, like her stomach, mid her belly button, her torso, and the legs down, never the top. So she kind of, so I could feel and kind of see that she was kind of like fixing up her top throughout that whole process as they were trying to get it fixed. But anyway, she was able to get it fixed. They were able to finish the rest of the matchup and get it done. I do want to say this. If, and this is just, yet again, I know I'm a dude. I have no business saying this, but I do just want to just point this out. Ladies in the professional wrestling industry, in the professional wrestling business, please talk to other women to figure out how do they keep their straps, how do they keep their tops together and secured so that you guys won't have wardrobe malfunctions. Yes, it's going to happen from time to time, but for a black screen to show up like that, I think they're going to use that in a learning like package whenever they're going to have women come up into business or they probably might even show this Raquel later and say, yo, you got to get your top fixed or something like that. They're probably going to show you women that and let that be a learning thing to them. Have your tops be fixed. Have your tops right adjusted to your size. Don't have it too tight. Don't have it too loose. Have it just right so you'll be safe and secured. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to be a jerk with it. That's all I'm saying. That's it. Anyway, after this, the next match that we have is Saray going against a Kayla Inlay. Anyway, this is Saray's first match back on NXT since her uh, November 9th loss to Kaylee Ray. Uh, Saray wins the match by pinfall when she hits a T-bone suplex on Kayla for the win. And Saray comes back with a new look. She has a silver streak, like, in the middle of her hair, pinkish red on the side, pink and red, uh, colorful, like, attire. It's real different than her regular, like, bland red attire that she came in with NXT last year. And she's basically got a makeover. I'm cool with this makeover that she got for the in-ring. Uh, her in-ring attire. I'm cool with that. Just her backstage look. Looking like a... Uh, looking like an anime uh, school girl, if you will. With the two pink tails and the glasses and the school uniform. I ain't with it. But if that was Saray's choice, yeah, cool. She She knows what she's doing with it. I just wish that they would not have went with that. They would have went with a different approach, like talk to Io Shirai and have her mix it up with Saray and see what they could kind of like figure out together since they have of that culture, figure out how they can uh, influence that and blend it into the American style, not just go full like anime schoolgirl with Saray after she just got done looking like a newer version of herself in the ring, but you turn her into a schoolgirl like during her backstage promos. I don't, I'm not witty, but again, that is not of my culture, so I'm gonna just stick in my lane. After this, we had Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams doing an in ring promo. Uh, the promo had nothing for me. The only thing that was of significance of this promo was that Carmelo Hayes talking about how he's seen Ollie J. That's the only thing I can see about this. And if you don't know who Ollie J is, Ollie J does music for the NXT uh, show. She performed there last week, and Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes like escorted her down to the ring last week. No more, none less to be important. 
about this. I mean, Carmelo and Trey, they usually hit home runs, and if not, they hit a good solid three baser on their promos. This one, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't do nothing for me this week. I mean, all of them can't be home runs, all of them can't be three basers. So, I mean, we just got to see what they do next week. I mean, the only thing that they did was just like set up uh, Carmelo's match with Car- uh, Cameron Grimes at Vengeance Day. The only thing that it did do here, but there was no like anything that like popped out to me. Uh, anyway, after this, we had a one on one matchup between LA Knight going against Joe Gacy with Harlan in his corner. Joe Gacy will win the match by pinfall. With thanks from Grayson Waller. And this happened when Gacy and Knight both ran into each other. Uh, LA Knight will go outside the ring to collect himself. But Harlan will get on the ring apron to distract the referee. So the referee didn't see this happen. And what I mean by this is that Grayson Waller's big bodyguard, which his name is Sanga, comes from the crowd and stands behind LA Knight. LA Knight turns around and you see him and... Uh, Waller's bodyguard have a small standout for a minute, but then we see Waller hit his rolling stunner on Knight on the outside of the ring. The ref breaks away from Harlan. He looks over at Knight, starts counting at Knight. Knight beats the count at the count of nine, gets back into the ring, but as soon as he does, he gets hit with a springboard clothesline from Gacy for the win. After the match, Waller gets a microphone and starts antagonizing Knight, telling LA Knight that he doesn't belong in NXT and that Grayson Waller owns NXT now. This is his house. Uh, Knight does punch Waller, but as soon as he does this, Sanga, Waller's big bodyguard, grabs Knight by the throat, choke slams him. Grayson Waller lets LA Knight know that if he could beat Sanga next week, then he might remove the restraining order that LA Knight, uh, that Grayson Waller has on LA Knight. So we have our match next week, LA Knight going against Sanga. After this, our next matchup is Amari Miller going against Wendy Chu. Wendy wins the match by pitfall thanks to a distraction by Tiffany Stratton. Amari was beating up Chu. Then Tiffany comes down to the ring. Tiffany throws her black card in there, and Amari picks it up. I have no idea what this was supposed to do, to be honest. I don't know if Amari was supposed to use the black card on Chu to, like, slide it across her forehead or whatever the case may be. I don't know. This was a dumb thing to do anyway, in my opinion. But as soon as she does this, Wendy gets up and rolls up Amari Miller. Amari does kick out of the panic attempt, but Wendy was able to hit her with a Polish hammer for the win. And after the match, you saw Tiffany Stratton get in the ring, telling Amari Amari Miller that she needs her black card back. But Amari doesn't have it anymore. Amari points at Wendy, who's now on the entrance ramp, and she has Tiffany's black card. So now you see Wendy just flaunting Tiffany's black card up in the air. Tiffany's just stomping in the ring, saying that that's my daddy's black card. I need that back. And okay, cool. This is where we're going with this. Tiffany Stratton going against Wendy Chu. All right, let's see where we go here from this. After this, we have the in-ring debut, well, NXT debut of Draco Anthony going against Andre Chase with Bodie Hayward in his corner. Andre Chase wins the match by pinfall when he hits an arm-trapped flatliner for the win. After the match, Andre looks into the camera and announces that next week he will be facing Von Wagner. I had a problem with this matchup because before this match began, we had a little uh, video package of Draco, like Draco Anthony going into 
the NXT Performance uh, Center and him training and everything else. This is his little vignette. It's saying that he's making his in-ring debut next. Usually when they have the that type of stuff happening with either a vignette or even a short vignette like that has happening, the NXT debuting star never loses his first match on NXT. He always wins. But for Draco, he lost. I don't understand what the point is if you're going to have him lose. Why have his NXT vignette show before the match happens? If anything, you let him be a scrub that nobody knows, and then he'll lose to Andre Chase, and then you can build him up, just like you did with Idris Anafi, just like you did with Malik Blade. You didn't have anything on Malik Blade. We keep on seeing him losing and losing and losing. And Idris Anafi, yeah, he was a scrub that we didn't see at one point, but then he got uh, video package, he won his first match, but then next time we saw him, he went against, uh, Solo Sequoia, but he lost to Solo Sequoia, and now you see Malik and Idris team up together in the Dusty Tag Team Classic, and now they're a team, see, okay, cool, Draco Anthony, he's a, just a guy by himself, he should have won this matchup, or he should have just been pulling in as a scrub without an NXT vignette, again, I don't know who's booking this. I don't know who's creating the storyline for this. But this was a complete thumbs down for that. You shouldn't have done that. That was a complete waste of time. Now to the main event of NXT. The tag team matchup between Legado Del Fantasma's own Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza with Santos Escobar and Electra Lopez in their corner going against NXT champion Braun Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa. Braun and Tommaso win the match by pinfall when Tommaso pushes Wild off the top turnbuckle through the commentary table. Then Braun Breaker hits his Gorilla Press Slam on Mendoza for the win. After the match, we see Mandy Rose come out, and she's still in distress because Kaylee Ray has been hounding her all night. You see Kaylee Ray come out behind Mandy, still carrying her green baseball bat. She tells Mandy that she doesn't want her to have her championship matchup at Vengeance Day. She wants to have it next week. Mandy grants her that match, but tells her you can't hit me with the green baseball bat because as Kaylee was making her demand, she was pointing the green baseball bat at Mandy Rose. Kaylee drops the bat, but she ends up super kicking Mandy, then grabs her and hits the KLR bomb and lays out Mandy Rose. So the final shot that you see on NXT is Kaylee holding up the NXT Women's Championship. So we have our match for next week. Kaylee Ray going against Mandy for the NXT Women's Championship. And that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now to AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite starts off with John Moxley going against Wheeler Yuta with Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy in his corner. Now, we were supposed to get John Moxley going against Brian Kendrick, but Brian Kendrick's old tweets resurfaced up, and they're apparently old tweets from 10 years ago, and he talked about uh, some vile things about some... Uh, I believe they were uh, conspiracy theories about 9-11, Sandy Hook, some real tragic things. So AEW owner Tony Khan decided to pull Brian Kendrick and not have him on the show tonight. So that's the reason why we got John Moxley going against Wheeler Yuta. Anyway, Moxley does win the match by pinfall when Moxley hits Yuta with the Paradise Shift for the win. There was a good match between Moxley and Yuta. Yuta got a lot more offense than he did the first time when he went against Moxley, I believe, in like late 
October in the World Championship, like, Eliminators Tournament. I believe, no? No, I believe it was the week before the tournament. So, yeah. Anyway, um, he had a great showing with Moxley. Even at one point, he looked like he was going to beat Moxley, but Moxley is the bigger name, so he was going to go over. Uh, Brian Danielson does come into the ring and still have a stare down with Moxley after the match. And it looks like you're going to see these two fighting. That's what we're all anticipating. But Brian gets a microphone and he asks the fans, do they want to see him fight? The crowd starts doing the yes chance. And Brian then talks about he admits that he's been wanting to fight Moxley for a while. He admits that while he was over there, he was watching Moxley over here in AEW, and he calls Moxley the greatest AEW world champion. He mentioned that Moxley would still probably still be world champion if he had people around him. And now we start seeing Brian Danielson proposing a partnership, saying we shouldn't be fighting against each other. We should be fighting with one another. He talks about how Hangman Page, Luchasaurus, and Sammy Guevara are undeserving champions and how if they were to take guys from underneath other people, they can bring in the next generation of professional wrestlers. He starts bringing up guys like Daniel Garcia, Lee Moriarty, even Wheeler Yuta, and talking about how they bring them up and teach them the right way instead of them being under guys that are jokes and high flyers and people that would never be taken seriously. They could take over AEW. Brian extends his hand out to Moxley, but Moxley doesn't shake it. He just stares at Brian. Brian says, I know this is a lot for you to take in, so I'm going to allow you to think it over. And then he walks out of the ring. So now we're left with Moxley contemplating teaming up with Brian Danielson. This will be a nice concept, but I have a feeling Eddie Kingston is going to be the guy to probably talk to Moxley and ask him what's he doing. Even though Kingston is in a rivalry with Jericho, I can see them interweaving Kingston because Kingston is a friend to Moxley. And we haven't seen those two on screen since Moxley went away. And since Moxley's been back, Kingston's been gone with an injury himself. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this. Anyway, after this, we have a in-ring statement between Brandy Rhodes and Dan Lambert, who's with the men of the year. This is just nothing but an insult-throwing contest between Brandy and Dan. Dan throws insults at Brandy, saying that her... Uh, position as chief brand officer isn't real. She only got that position so Cody can be happy and that she can be happy. And he just continued to throw a lot of insults to her. He talked about how it's crazy how a conservative, rich, white man like myself is being cheered while somebody like you is being booed because people can see through your bullcrap. Brandy talks about how Dan has a amazing uh Coaching Jim, talk about how he's a five-time Jim of the Year down in Miami. Uh, he has fighters down there, America Top Team, but he should be focusing his time managing them instead of hanging around AEW. She mentions how one of fight one of Dan's fighters, uh, Tyrone Woodley, got knocked out by Jake Paul and Amanda Nunes losing her big fight. Uh, Dan Lamberg then throws another insult at Brandy, saying that her breasts are not real and that. She only had one good job, and that was her being face down in her previous job, saying basically she has sexual relations to get to the position where she's at. Brandy and Dan get into each other's face. Brandy slaps Dan Lamberg. Dan talks about how Brandy, he thought Brandy would be in a fighting mood, so he has somebody for Brandy to fight. Paige Van Zant 
comes down to the ring, and she's a former UFC fighter. I think she now does bare knuckle fighting. Uh, she comes down to the ring. She lifts up Brandy, puts her in the corner, and they just start throwing blows. But they're weak blows, so you know they're not really trying to hit each other. Uh, the female locker room come out to separate both of you ladies, and that's the end of this. I don't want to see this. I don't. I hope they do something with Cody coming back and probably even saying something about this. Say, all right, I know this is garbage. We ain't even got time for this. That's the only thing. The only thing that really popped everybody in the segment was Brandy saying something to Ethan Page talking about the only reason we hired you, Ethan, so we can get close to Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander is a professional wrestler in Impact Wrestling and is Ethan Page's best friend in real life and his tag partner, former tag partner when they were when Ethan was in Impact Wrestling as the North. And I can see them using Ethan trying to get Josh Alexander there. So I could I like that that was that truth in it. I do like that. And that it did get a pop out of the whole fans in Chicago say ooh to that. Now after that segment was done, we go to a tag team matchup between the Kings of the Black Throne, which is Malachi Black and Brody King, going against Pac and Penta, uh, two-thirds of Death Triangle, with Alex Abrahantes in their corner. Uh, the Kings of the Black Throne do win the match by pinfall when Pac was on the top turnbuckle and he was looking for a maneuver, but Brody King pushed him off the turnbuckle to the outside. The referee will look on the outside and make sure Pac was okay, and while this happens, Malachi Black sprayed black mist into Penta's eyes, which allowed Brody and Malachi to hit Dante Inferno for the win. So the Kings of the Black Throne have a win over Death Triangle, and this is going to continue their feud, which I'm not sure what they want to do with this. Are they trying to recruit Penta, or are they going to try to recruit Pac, or what's up? Somebody from Death Triangle is probably going to join Kings of the Black Throne, probably Penta, because Penta is more of a bad guy character out of all three. Members of Death Triangle, there's Phoenix, Penta, and uh, Pac. I would love to see Penta in there because Penta, this would be Penta's first time being a bad guy, like literally a through-and-through bad guy in AEW. And if you've been watching Lucha Underground, uh, you know how malicious and evil Penta can get. I would love to see them bring that guy back and him joining the Kings of the Black Throne. That just seems like a good opportunity. After this, we have Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero in her corner going against Ruby Soho. Nyla will win the match by pinfall when Nyla was on the second turnbuckle and Ruby tried to hit the riot kick, but Ruby just couldn't get her leg up in the air quite enough, so she wolfed the kick, so she ends up landing on her back. This allowed Nyla to hit the swanton bomb on the back of Soho and then pick her up and hit the beast bomb for the win. After this, we had Adam Page in-ring interview. Adam Page mentions that he's been AEW World Champion for 81 days almost three months, and he has only defended it twice, and he talks about how he's been begging for a fight, and he knows Lance Archer is here tonight, so he calls Lance Archer out so he can fight him tonight. Page is then met by Dan Lamberg and Jake Roberts. They both mention how Page is afraid and has fear. Lance Archer comes out to kill all this, and he tells everybody to shut up and tells Page, let's do this. So as Lance was walking down to the ring, Page jumps out of the ring, hits a suicide dive on Lance Archer, and Paige is now standing next to his steel steps. Lance runs towards Paige. Paige moves out the way, so now Lance hits the steel steps. This allows Dan Lambert to hit Adam Page in the back with a steel chair. Hangman Page doesn't drop down, however. Dan Lambert now is afraid. He tells Paige it wasn't him. Paige grabs him by the throat, throws him into the ring. 
But before Paige can get into the ring, Lance Archer grabs the steel chair and hits Paige in the back, and now this time, Paige crumbles to the ground. This allows Lance Archer to chokeslam uh, Hangman Page on the steel steps and then pick him up to hit the blackout through the timekeeper's table. Lance Archer is sending a message to Hangman Page next week in for in their uh, Texas Death Match for the AEW World Championship, and he's hoping to beat Hangman Page, which I do not see happening. Now it's time for the main event of AEW Dynamite. It is now the fi- the match that we all been wanting to see ever since Thanksgiving. MJF going against CM Punk, and we actually did get to see MJF wrestle. It wasn't a hodgepodge, like, oh, okay, jerk juke you, like, oh, uh, you thought I was going to wrestle? Nope. No, he actually did wrestle against CM Punk, and it was a good uh, match. Um, MJF does win the match, thanks to the distraction by Warlow, but the match did have to get restarted on one account, but this is before Warlow came out. This account happens when MJF had... CM Punk in a sleeper hold, but before he could put CM Punk in a sleeper hold, he put tape around Punk's throat, and then he applied a sleeper hold when the referee wasn't looking. So as MGF has a sleeper hold on Punk, the tape's underneath Punk's throat, and Punk's trying to tell the referee something's on his throat, but he can't, the referee doesn't understand it. So Punk goes unconscious, MGF still has a sleeper hold applied, the referee lifts Punk's arm in the air three times, each time Punk's arm hits the mat, he calls for the bell. The Chicago crowd is booing this because they can't believe their hometown hero just went down to a guy like MGF. So the referee lifts up MGF's arms in victory and the tape now falls out from under MGF's arm. The referee sees the tape. He lifts it up. He goes to the uh, ring announcer and says that the match has to be restarted. So now the match has been restarted. MGF is fighting Punk again. So... They're doing this. Punk is now getting the better of MGF. And MGF now has gotten to the point that he's so exhausted, he rolls out of the ring and just lays out on the floor. And now we see Warlow come walking down towards the ring. And as MGF is laid out, we see Warlow walk towards MGF's body. He steps in front of MGF's body and Punk's outside of the ring and he gets in nose to nose with Warlow and at this moment we're wondering is Warlow going to get in the way is he going to punch Punk what's Warlow going to do at this moment Warlow decides to move out of the way so Punk can get to MJF and everybody's shocked by this and Punk still doesn't trust Warlow so as he grabs MJF up and throws him into the ring he still is hesitant on Warlow and as Punk is in the ring you see Warlow put his hand on the bottom rope, and the referee sees this. He's reprimanding uh, Warlow, telling him, don't get involved, don't do nothing. And as this happens, we see MJF punch Punk in the head and KO Punk. And we see MJF's body lays over CM Punk, and we see the referee turn around, he counts it, and we get the three. They show a replay of what happened which led to this, and we see whenever Warlow was in front of MJF's body, we see that MJF get handed the dynamite diamond ring by Warlow when Warlow put his hands behind his back, and we don't see it, but the camera catches it on replay. He hands MJF the dynamite ring. MJF puts it in his hand. We don't see it until we uh, get the replay, and we see it in the replay, punk, throat, MJF back into the ring. MJF puts the ring on his uh, hand, and this was led to MJF knocking out Punk. 
So MGF now technically if he's gonna peacock it uh next week, talking about how he beat CM Punk not once but twice in his hometown of Chicago. And this is setting up MGF for a big year in AEW. I have a feeling that we're probably gonna see him. I'm not gonna say challenge for the world championship. Because I have a feeling we're gonna have Adam Cole challenging Heyman and Pedge for the world championship, probably at Revolution. But this is probably going to set MJF up to be the guy to be in the waiting wings watching everything as he does and calculating how he's going to take over AEW and the Pinnacle is going to take over AEW as MJF and the Pinnacle wants to do. But it still also leaves a question mark of when is Warlow going to turn on MJF? Because Warlow didn't look pleased by it. He's like, all right, I did this because I get paid to do it. That's what Warlow looks, but... We'll have to see what happens next week on Dynamite. Also, before I get off of this, Chris Jericho had a backstage uh, little moment, and he basically called out uh, Santana and Ortiz. He said, next week on Dynamite, we're going to have an inner circle town hall meeting, and manda- and it's mandatory that everybody be there. So more or less, we're going to see the disbandment of the inner circle next week. I just want to see how it's going to play out because it's time for the inner circle to break up, because I believe that Santana and Ortiz should be on their own, because they should have been world champ- tag team champions by now, but they haven't, and Sammy Guevara is already TNT champion, and he's just inner circle by name, because he wears the vest, the inner circle vest, whenever he goes out to the entrance, and we haven't seen Jay Hager in a couple weeks, matter of fact, we haven't seen him in the ring in months, so I see Jay Hager probably just being the bodyguard for Jericho, and I'm cool with that. But again, we'll have to see what happens next week on AEW Dynamite. But that was Dynamite's highlights of the week. Now until Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a digital media championship matchup between the champion, Jordan Grace, going against the challenger, Matt Cardona. Matt Cardona wins the match by pinfall and becomes the new digital media champion when he goes outside and grabs the championship and he was about to enter the ring with it, but the referee grabs the championship from him and walks away and throws it outside of the ring. When this happens, we see Jordan Garris run toward Matt Cardona, but Matt Cardona quickly grabs a steel chair, lifts it up, and hits Grace in the head. He then runs into the ring, his radio silence on Jordan Grace, pins her, and becomes the new digital media champion, and in effect, he turns to be a bad guy. So now we're going to get bad guy Matt Cardona on Impact Wrestling. And if you don't know bad guy Matt Cardona, he is an entertaining guy. He if I would say go watch his GCW stuff of 2021 and you'll understand how entertaining a bad guy Matt Cardona truly is. And then you'll get the big scope of what's basically going to happen. Um, After this, we had Jonah going against Crazy Steve with Decay in his corner. Jonah wins the match by pinfall when he climbs the top turnbuckle and hits the Typhoon, a big body splash for the win. After the match, Jordan was looking to hit another Typhoon on Steve, but Black Taurus and Rosemary Decay get into the ring to stop him first. We have Taurus waving his arms at Jonah, telling him to enter the ring so they could fight. Jonah gets on the ring apron, stares at Taurus, then gets off the apron and starts walking up to the back. So, again, we're leading to another matchup between, well, not another matchup, a first-time matchup between Jonah and Black Taurus. Two big men just basically just squaring off with one another, and I'm here for it. That's all I want to see. After this, we had a rematch, but not for the World Ring of Honor World Championship, and not in pure rules. is a regular standard wrestling match between Steve Macklin and 
Jonathan Gresham. Jonathan Gresham would win the match by disqualification when McLean wouldn't quit punching uh, Gresham as he was in the ropes, so he had to the count of five, and McLean didn't stop there, so the referee called for the bell. After the match, McLean continued to attack Gresham and even put him in the Boston Crab, a.k.a. the Walls of Jericho, if you know it by that name. And as he applied this hold, you see Honor No More come out and start attacking Macklin. Now, as Honor No More is stomping on Macklin, Gresham gets out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp. This allowed Mike Bennett and Matt Taven to hit the proton pack on Macklin, and they continue to still stomp on Macklin. You see Gresham watching all this happen from the entrance stage, this beatdown, and Honor No More calls for Gresham to come down to the ring to join them, but Gresham doesn't accept their invitation. He's not happy with this. Josh Alexander, music hits. He comes out. He stares down Gresham. Gresham looks at Alexander, then walks away. Gresham is probably getting the look of disappointment from Alexander, thinking that he's a part of this, but Gresham's going to still stay, be on the steadfast that he has no idea what they want, and he has no idea that he that he's not with honor no more. He's his own man. He's here representing Ring of Honor, a place of honor and dignity. Josh Alexander goes down to the ring because he has a match with Vincent next. So we get Josh Alexander going against Vincent and in Vincent's corner is honor no more. Josh Alexander wins the match by submission when he locks Vincent into the ankle lock and Vincent has to tap out. After the match, Kenny King pops out of nowhere and gets in the ring and hits the Royal Flush on Josh Alexander. Now, Impact Wrestling guys decide to run down to the ring and chase off Kenny King and Honor No More. So, Kenny King has now joined the Honor No More guys. So, we now have our five on five teams for Impact Wrestling going against Honor No More at No Surrender. Kenny King, for people that don't know, he is a former X Division champion. He's a former, uh, I believe, two or three time Ring of Honor television champion. A former three-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. He has history in both Impact and Ring of Honor, so he's the perfect guy to join in on this uh, stable warfare of Impact going against Ring of Honor uh, Renegades. He's the perfect guy to do this. Again, I would love for them to bring in Shane Taylor promotion for this, but we'll have to see if Shane Taylor promotion gets an invite in to do this later down the line. I'm hoping so. The Shane Taylor promotioner is a great uh, group of guys that I believe they deserve a chance to showcase to the entire world what they got. Anyway, after this, we had John uh, Schuyler going against Ben Hinder Gurich. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the name. I'm proud. No, I'm been butchering the name, but I just can't say my man's last name. Uh, ben Hinder does win the match by pinfall when he hits a second rope spear off on John Schuyler for the win. I mean, there was nothing really to talk about here. After this, we have Masha Slamovich going against Casey Lennox. Masha does win the match by pinfall when she hits the Russian death device, which is a Northern Lights bomb on Lennox for the win. This was another dominant match by Masha. She just dominated Casey, and Casey didn't get... Uh, I don't think she even got offense in this match. If she did, she got a little bit, but I don't even remember her getting offense in on this match. Anyway, all both of those matches were basically fluffers leading into the main event, which was the eight-man tag, Bullet Club, which consists of Jay White, Chris Bay, and the Gorillas of Destiny going against Ace Austin, Madman Fulton, Mike Bailey, and Jake Something. 
Bullet Club wins the match by pinfall when Jake something was dominating all four members of Bullet Club until the numbers games got too much for him and the Bullet Club start beating up on Jake something. Bullet Club start hitting combos on something and this led to Bullet Club holding up something and allowing Chris Bay to hit the final death blow, which is the art of finesse, onto something for the win. This was a simple matchup of one team that has been teaming up for years. Well, Jay White and the Gorillas of Destiny, they just added Chris Bay in last year, but he was able to work himself in and uh, gel in with those guys, while the other team were a dysfunctional team of Azos and Madman Fulton. They know how to work together, but they were not trying to tag in Jake something and Mike Bailey basically being the guy that's trying to get everybody to work together. It was a that it was an easy story to tell, and the team that always works together is always going to win. So Bullet Club winning wasn't a shock to anybody. After the match, Bullet Club was celebrating in the ring until Violence by Design and the Good Brothers come out and attacks the Bullet Club. So we have Impact ending in a brawl between these two big factions: Bullet Club going against the allegiance of uh, Violence by Design and Good Brothers. Uh, after Impact goes off on their social media, we see the Good Brothers and Vaz Balazan entering backstage. They're stopped by Scott Demore. Scott Demore informs them that at No Surrender, the Good Brothers will be defending their Impact tag team titles against the Gorillas of Destiny with no help from Vaz Balazan because they will be barred from ringside, while Jay White will be going against Eric Young in that evening as well. We'll have to see what happens next week on Impact Wrestling, but. For now, that has been your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now to SmackDown. Just want to let you know what a heads up. SmackDown next week will have a women's championship matchup between Naomi going against Charlotte Flair. Now with that being said, SmackDown starts off with a in-ring promo from the reunited bloodline with their special counsel, their wise men, Paul Heyman. Paul talks about how when he left... Roman Reigns, whenever Roman Reigns essentially fired him by Superman punching him, he mentioned the moment of when that happened. He mentioned how whenever he was asked by Roman, was he protecting Brock Lesnar? And he mentioned that, no, he was protecting Roman Reigns from Brock Lesnar. He made a mistake. He was telling the truth, but it wasn't the whole truth because now Paul understands and realized that it wasn't Roman that needed protecting from Paul, from Brock Lesnar. It was the other way around. It was Brock Lesnar needed protecting from Roman Reigns. And Paul goes on this whole thing talking about how Brock is not the same Brock as he used to be. He's not the uh, world eater, the destroyer, the guy that comes in and kick butt and take names and just takes everybody to Suplex City. No, now he's like everybody else. He's like a schmuck. He's here with his stupid uh, <laughs> ponytail, his stupid beard. He's drumming out, dressing like a farmer. Paul doesn't like that uh, Brock is out here dressing like this. He doesn't like it at all. And he mentions that once he got fired from Roman, he was basically essentially back with Brock. And he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. And he mentioned at Royal Rumble, whenever Roman Reigns extended his hand out, that's when Paul knew that he had made a big mistake. He realized that it was Brock Lesnar that needed protection from Roman Reigns and that Roman Reigns extended his arm out in friendship 
he extended his arm out in family loyalty. He extended his arm out in love. He extended his arm out to come back to the bloodline. He extended his arm out to once again be the counsel to the tribal chief. He mentions that Roman Reigns acknowledged him at Royal Rumble. So it was quite easy for Paul to give Roman the WWE Championship so he could hit Brock at the Royal Rumble so Brock could lose to Bobby and Bobby is your new WWE Champion. Paul went through all of this and he then turns to Roman Reigns and says, I acknowledge you as my tribal chief. And you get Paul then telling the city of Oklahoma City to acknowledge Roman Reigns. Roman lifts up his championship. The Usos throw up the one. We get this whole big, like, hurrah from this whole big happy family back together again. But out of nowhere, we hear Goldberg's music hit. And the fans are losing it. Because this is people's first time seeing Goldberg back since, I believe, his feud with Bobby in September or early October. And the last time we saw him, it was in uh, Saudi Arabia. So now he's back. He goes to the ring. He gets a microphone and he tells Roman that he acknowledges Roman Reigns. But as his next victim, he then issues a challenge to Roman Reigns that at the Elimination Chamber, it'll be Roman going against Goldberg for the Universal Championship. It is later announced and confirmed that that match has been Signed off. So at Elimination Chamber, it will be Roman Reigns defending the Universal Championship against Goldberg at Elimination Chamber. Now, after this, we have a one-on-one contest happening between Ricochet and Cesaro, who's in his corner, going against Rich Holland with Sheamus in his corner. Ricochet wins the match by pinfall when Ricochet hits the recoil, or if everybody knows it better, as the code breaker, on Holland for the win. We go to commercial, but when we come back from commercial, it's now a tag team matchup between all these four men. So it's on one side, it's Ricochet and Cesaro going against Rich Holland and Sheamus. Now this time, Rich Holland and Sheamus win the match by pinfall when Cesaro and Sheamus were on the top turnbuckle, and Cesaro was looking to hit Sheamus with a superplex, and in mid-move going off the turnbuckle, Sheamus gets, uh, well, Rich Holland like creepily tags himself in by hitting Sheamus's uh knee and the referee uh notifies Ridge that he's legal now. So once Cesaro superplexes Sheamus off the turnbuckle, Ridge Holland gets in, picks up Cesaro, hits him with northern grit, and that's all this said for this match. Ridge Holland wins uh the match for his team. After this is a one on one contest. It's Jimmy Uso with Jay Uso in his corner going against Ivar with Eric in his corner. Jimmy Uso wins the match by pinfall when he hits the Uso splash on Ivar for the win. It also gets confirmed at Elimination Chamber. It will be the SmackDown Tag Team Championship matchup between the Usos going against the Viking Raiders. After this, we have another one-on-one contest, but this time it's their third time meeting in the third time meeting up. It's Aaliyah going against Natalia. Aaliyah is so far 2-0 against Natalia, and Natalia wants to turn that and switch that around on this match, but that was not uh, able to happen. Aaliyah does win the match by ring count, well, ring out, when, uh, both Natalia and Aaliyah were on the outside of the ring, and Natalia was beating up Aaliyah, but Aaliyah was able to push Natty into the barricade and get back into the ring by the count of nine, then the referee hits ten, 
Ding, ding, ding. Aaliyah wins the match by ring out. Later in the night, we see Natalia go into Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville's office and ask for a match with Aaliyah next week. But the only way to win is by pinfall or submission. Ju- dungeon uh, rules. So they agree to it. So next week, the only way you win is by pinfall submission. I suspect probably some steel chairs to be used by Natalia on Aaliyah. And we'll probably that's the only way we're going to see Natalia beat Aaliyah next week. That's just my my thinking process. After this, we had Drew McIntyre in-ring promo. He mentions how people were putting out, uh, publicizing how after day one, he was going to be out missing Royal Rumble, missing WrestleMania. He talked about how he went to a doctor and the doctor told Drew that you're going to be missing WrestleMania. And Drew told the doctor to his face he could kiss his butt. And Drew talked about how he went to rehab three times a day for six days a week. And now he's back fully ready to uh, get back to business. I want to say this right now. I understand why some of these wrestlers want to get back into work and get back into the ring because they don't want to miss whatever they, uh, whatever type of plans creative has for them. Because again, when creative has a plan for you, they want you to be there. But if you get injured and plans get switched, changed and things happen, I understand that. You cannot be John Cena. John Cena is the king of all miracle returns. John Cena will get hurt, and you think he's supposed to be out for straight up a solid year. That man will be back, what, within five months, four months? That man is Wolverine for real, for real. John Cena has something in him that he helps regenerate himself. His bones are able to regenerate and heal itself up way much more quicker than people give it credit to. But... I don't want all these wrestlers to try what John Cena does. John Cena literally was the only guy in wrestling history, to my knowledge, that is literally able to get injured, supposed to be out for a legit year. He ain't out for a year. He's out for a couple months, and then pop, he's back. Listen here. You don't need to be doing that. Let the ball fall where it falls. With somebody like Drew McIntyre, the creative team is always going to have something for you. They're always going to try to put you back in the main event slot in the back where you need to be because the fans love Drew McIntyre. So I would love for Drew, if he's not fully healed up 100%, not that whole 85% crap, no, 100%, because wrestling takes a toll on your body. You got to look out for the future, your legit future, not just the now, but legitimately your future. So if your body's not at 100%, please take some time off. I think you're done with this rivalry with yourself and Corbin and Madcap that will probably... I hope it doesn't go into Mania, but if it does, fine, it goes into Mania, then take some time off, and then really heal that neck up, because you don't need to be messing yourself up. Anyway, uh, he then mentions he's putting his focus back on Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. Corbin comes out and asks Drew, was it worth it? Coming back and being tossed out of the Rumble like tra- by trash, well, like trash by Brock Lesnar. Corbin then mentions that made him happy to see that. So right on cue, Madcap Moss enters the ring behind Drew McIntyre, but Drew points his sword at Madcap and tells him that who could have saw that one coming. He tells Moss to tell him a joke since Madcap's the funny guy. Moss was going to tell Drew an Oklahoma joke, but Drew asks Madcap to tell him a Drew McIntyre joke. Moss tells the joke, okay, what does a not guilty man and WrestleMania have in common? They both will be getting away scot-free. So, if you got the drift, Drew McIntyre Scottish. WrestleMania won't have him in it. Ha-ha, hearty-har-har. Corbin laughs, and Moss looks at uh, Drew McIntyre nervously, but Drew ends up laughing. So, Mac had Moss laughs. He 
thinks that he's in the clear. Drew isn't going to do nothing to him, but Drew McIntyre hits him with a Claymore kick. He gets the microphone up, back up. He looks at Corbin, tells him that he's going to make Corbin's life miserable, and this is just the beginning. And then we get then get clarification that at the Elimination Chamber, it'll be Drew McIntyre going against Madcap Moss, whatever. After this, we have Shinsuke Nakamura with Rick Boogs in his corner going against Jinder Mahal with Shanky in his corner. Shinsuke wins the match by pinfall. He is the Kinshasa for the win. Sami Zayn was on commentary for this match. And we do keep confirmation that in two weeks' time, on February 18th on SmackDown, Sami Zayn will get his Intercontinental Championship match against Shinsuke Nakamura. After this, we have a tag team matchup. The New Day going against Los Lotharios. The New Day wins the match by pinfall when the New Day hit midnight hour on Angel Garza for the win. I just want to also side note this. They tried to say Big E and Kofi Kingston. They did not say the New Day. I'm letting this be known again. Kofi Kingston, Big E, Xavier Woods, they did not split. They did not have a colossal breakup. They did not do nothing of that sort. They are still known as the New Day. Whether it be Xavier and Big E, New Day. Kofi, Big E, New Day. Kofi, Xavier, New Day. All three men are New Day. Any formation of the duo are the New Day. Don't ever try to pull that crap again. Now it's time for the main event segment. Sonya Deville and Charlotte Flair are in the ring, and Sonya lets Charlotte know that she was informed before SmackDown went live that Becky Lynch told her that Ronda Rousey chose her as a WrestleMania opponent. So Sonya lets Charlotte know that once she beats Naomi next week, she needs to pick someone to face at WrestleMania. Sonya tells Charlotte that she can have her pick of her opponents, and she gives Charlotte the floor. Charlotte mentions that it's not a surprise to her that Ronda picked Becky because... She didn't want to face the best, and Charlotte has been the best since 2015. Charlotte says that while Ronda and Becky will be fighting on her undercard, she'll choose any woman. She lets the fans choose and say, okay, who do you guys want me to face at Mania? Fans are cheering, uh, shouting out names, but we can't get all you know cohesive name. But I do hear Sasha Banks pop the name. Somebody's popped the name Sasha Banks out. Charlotte tells everybody, okay, 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 I hear everybody. So I'm going to choose... Sasha Banks. She tells that she wished that Sasha was here so Sasha could thank her for the opportunity. Ronda then comes out and gets in the ring and gets a microphone. Ronda mentions how Becky, Sonya, and Charlotte has been talking about her lately. And Ronda mentioned that she has enjoyed being a mom, but the only person that who can declare that Ronda will face anybody at Mania is Ronda. Ronda tells Charlotte that she isn't special, but she is the first on a list of people that she owes a buck kicking to. Ronda then tells Charlotte that she chooses her as her opponent at WrestleMania. Charlotte says at Mania, she's going to retain her championship, and then lifts up the SmackDown Women's Championship and says, this is her baby. It mentions that it's way more prettier than your baby. Ronda's now looking pissed off because now you talked about her baby. She takes off her jacket. She looks like she wants to rip off Charlotte's head. But Sonya Deville gets in the way and tells Ronda that, listen, I'm your boss, and you don't run the show, I do. Ronda shoves Sonya out of the way, and then you see Charlotte try to lunge after Ronda, but she misses. So then you see Sonya Deville get on the back of Ronda and try to apply a sleeper hold. But to no effect, because Ronda then turns this into a twisting Samoan drop, and then applies the arm bar on Sonya Deville as Charlotte is on the outside of the ring watching all this unfold. So the last image that you see is... Ronda Rousey putting Sonya Deville in an arm bar. Now, I don't know where we're... I know we're supposed to have with this. I know we're going to get Sonya Deville going again. Not Sonya Deville, but, uh, God, Ronda Rousey going against Charlotte. 
Cool. Fine. So that means next week, Charlotte is going to win over Naomi. All right. This is where we're headed. I already said that this is where we're headed. Cool. Fine. Whatever. Cool beans. Here's where it leads me down the line. What are we doing with Naomi? Is Naomi going to win some type of situation where she becomes the next challenger for the SmackDown Championship after somebody at Mania or something? Because Naomi has been going through a lot on the SmackDown side with dealing with Sonya Deville. So I hope it leads to a big payoff for Naomi, literally, because she deserves a big payoff after dealing with Sonya for all this many times in the storyline plot. But we'll have to see what happens on that front. Anyways, SmackDown was good. It was fine. Anyway. That was your SmackDown highlights of the week. Now to AEW Rampage. First match of the night is Adam Cole going against Evil Uno. Adam Cole beats Uno by pinfall when he hits the boom for the win. After the match, Cole starts listing his opponents that he has beaten in AEW. And he mentions that he's undefeated and that his match with Orange Cassidy doesn't exist in the rule books. He's talking about whenever he lost to Orange Cassidy last week in the Lights out match. And technically, by AEW rules, that he's right. It's not in the record books. It doesn't affect your record. So by that technicality, Adam Cole is undefeated in AEW. He mentions that now we're going to see a new face, a new side of Adam Cole, a more ruthless, relentless side of Adam Cole. And he mentions that everywhere he has been, he's always been the top guy, the world champion. And Adam Cole mentions that one thing's for certain. Adam Cole will be AEW World Champion. So that tells you that Adam Cole has his sights on the AEW World Championship. And remember what I just said. MGF just had his match with CM Punk lad, well, this Wednesday on Dynamite. So this is going to be pretty interesting. Are we going to lead into Adam Cole going against MGF? Or is it going to be MGF saying something to Adam Cole about you got to wait in the back of the line, kid? I don't know where this is going to lead those two. But it has to lead those two to go against each other somewhere. Like, literally, because there's, cause those are literally the top two guys. Like, Kenny Omega isn't here, so technically Adam Cole's technically number one, but MGF just beat CM Punk, a guy that was undefeated. So, I wonder how hot it puts MJF. But we'll have to see oh, what will happen on Dynamite or even Rampage next week. We'll have to see. Anyway, after this, we have a TNT Championship matchup. Sammy Guevara going against Isaiah Casty with Matt Hardy and Mark Quinn in his corner. Sammy wins the match by pinfall when Sammy hits the GTH on Isaiah for the win. After the match, Andrade El Idolo and Matt Hardy and Mark Quinn and Andrade's handler get into the ring and start surrounding Sammy Guevara. Chris Jericho gets up out of the, uh, his chair on commentary, but Darby Allen runs down to the ring and stands right beside Sammy Guevara. Andrade tries to give Darby a contract to sign over to him and his business, but Darby doesn't even grab that contract. He just stands right beside Sammy Guevara. So Sammy is now, well, Darby's in cahoots with Sammy, at least with Andrade's concern. Once there, once the Hardys, well, Hardy's uh, company and Andrade leave out of the ring, Darby and Sammy get face-to-face, and Darby starts patting the TNT championships that Sammy are walking around. He's walking around with both the interim and the real TNT championship. He didn't just give away one championship to the office. No, he's walking around with both championships. Darby pats both championships. They look Sammy in the face. And then they just did their whole taunt to please the crowd. After this, we had Mercedes Martinez going against Thunder Rosa. 
Thunder Rosa does win the match by disqualification when Mercedes and Thunder Rosa were fighting on the outside of the ring and Mercedes gets a steel pipe and hits Thunder Rosa in the head. Now you have the referee call for the bell. You get medical come out to look at Thunder Rosa in the head and make sure she's good while Mercedes Martinez starts walking to the back. Once she gets to the back, she's interviewed by Tony Schiavone and Mercedes mentioned that she told everybody that once she got here in AEW, she's going to take out Thunder Rosa by any means necessary. Britt Baker and her company, which is uh, Rebel and Jamie Hayter, walk up on Mercedes, and Britt says, getting a DQ wasn't what we were talking about. Jamie looks at Britt and says, what do you mean? Britt says that since somebody can't get the job done, and she's looking at Jamie as he said this, I brought in someone to take care of it. Britt mentions that you thought it was Jay that did this. You thought Jay got Mercedes into AEW? No. Jade isn't smart enough to bring someone like Mercedes in. Britt tells Mercedes, it might have been Mark Sterling that gave you the check, but remember the name on the check. It was Dr. Britt Baker. Britt tells Mercedes that the next time, she needs to beat Thunder Rosa because if she doesn't, her time here will be shorter than the time at her previous job. She's talking about WWE here. Mercedes gets closer up on Britt Baker than Britt and her company leaves. So it seems to me that we're going to get Thunder Rosa going against Mercedes, and Mercedes is going to lose, and this is leading up to Thunder Rosa going against Britt Baker for the Women's Championship, which we all knew that was coming, to be honest with you, but just to know that Britt Baker brought in Mercedes Martinez and it wasn't Jade and Britt just throwing more shade towards uh, Jade, I don't like it, especially on Black History Month. Come on, bro. You can't be saying that she's not smart enough. What are we doing? That's that's not a way. You could have said that, nah, Jade didn't think about this. I'm the one that brought Thunder Rosa in for such and such. Don't say somebody's not smart enough, especially when Jade is out here dominating chicks. I ain't, uh, nah, I ain't with it. Anyway, main event of Rampage, FTW Championship matchup. Ricky Starks with Will Hobbs in this corner going against Jay Lethal. Ricky Starks does win the match by pinfall to retain the FTW Championship. When Jay Lethal was looking to hit the lethal injection, but Ricky catches him in midair and turns it into the Rochambeau for the win. Solid main event match between uh, Ricky and Jay Lethal. I just wish Ricky Starks would have more matches on Dynamite, not just always be relegated to Rampage. It seems that they want to leave him on Rampage so they could edit some of his matches if he messes up or something. I don't know. That's just me speculating. I'm not saying that Ricky does mess up. I'm just saying... That it just seems to me that they just want to have him on Rampage for some reason instead of Dynamite, the premiere show. Which, again, you're missing out on for if you for somebody like Ricky Starks. He's a credible wrestler, and I don't understand why you would just want to have him on Rampage instead of Dynamite. It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, that's AEW for you. Now, that's AEW Rampage for you. I want to list off the matches that I got for January's matches of the years that I've seen. Now, these are the matches that I've seen. So, again, these are my opinions or the matches of the month for January's. Okay, we got day one, the New Day going against the Uso for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Again, day one, five-way matchup for WWE Championship. Brock, Big E, Bobby Lashley, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins. AEW Dynamite on January 5th. Hangman Page going against Brian Danielson. NXT, January 18th. Roderick Strong going against the then Walter, now Gunther. AEW Dynamite, Breach Break. Cody Rhodes going against Sammy Guevara. Ladder match for the Undisputed TNT Championship. And Royal Rumble, 
January 29th, Roman Reigns going against Seth Rollins for a Universal Championship. People might hate on the Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns one, but look at the character work. Look at what they were building up to in that match. Look at the weeks that they were building it up to in that match. Specifically, you could just tell the character work that was there. Everything felt right. Everything fell in line perfectly. The crowd was hot for this match. People weren't expecting Seth to come out and shield regalia the whole shield entrance the whole shield this whole thing nobody was expecting that but once he did it everybody was happy to hear it and see it so again i'm happy for that and those are my well january matches of the year now before i do get you guys out of here the last other topic i do want to talk about is i want to talk about what happened at the royal rumble I've been looking online, and I've been seeing a lot of people saying that they weren't happy with the Royal Rumble. Me, I was happy with the Royal Rumble because I knew what to expect. And there's no disrespect to anybody when I say this, is that if you did not like the Royal Rumble, you were expecting something different, and I don't know what you were technically expecting. To be honest with you, okay, look back at their history so far of 2021. They got rid of so many people that they could have used in this Rumble and that they did call back to certain people. Like, for example, they called the Iconics back, but the Iconics turned them down. They called Nia Jax back, but Nia Jax turned it down. I believe they called uh, Braun Strowman in, and he said, nah. They called some other people, and they just said, nope. I mean, they called back some of the people that they released, and they straight up said, nah, they're good. So... With them not coming back, WWE had to use what WWE could do. And again, it was a solid Royal Rumble with the men and women. It was solid. I just don't know what people were expecting now. Obviously, certain people had on their bingo card Brock Lesnar to win the Royal Rumble. And if not Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns to win the Royal Rumble. That was on their bingo cards. They thought one of the two champions were going to lose and they entered the Rumble and win it. I didn't expect it personally because I thought, okay, that's a cheap way to do it. But WWE went cheap with it, and, I'm, and I was cool with it still. I was like, okay, Brock, all right, cool. We know where we're getting. Either way, we were going to lead to Brock and Roman at WrestleMania. It was leading to it, and I was able to understand it. Now it has been reported that there is low morale in the WWE roster. It has been speculated. It has been reported from different wrestling uh, news sites that uh, the backstage wrestlers are not happy right now. Again, I can understand why they're not happy because their friends are not there. They're not happy because they they everything was changed up at uh, Royal Rumble. It was reported that Shane McMahon was the guy to like handle the creative process for the Royal Rumble. He was the guy in charge of making the Royal Rumble happen this year for the men. So. If you got somebody like Shane McMahon doing the whole deal in with Shane literally being the last four guys in the ring, it was Shane, Bad Bunny, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre. People were upset that Drew, well, it was speculated that people were upset that Shane was in the match at the last end and that Shane tried to give himself a push. Listen, Shane got one of the big pops throughout the night, okay? Bad Bunny got a big pop. I had no problem with Bad Bunny being in the last. Personally, I had no problem. I had no problem with Shane being the last. I didn't care because you want to know why? We had Brock and Drew. We knew one of those two men were going to do it. We knew it. I saw it. I was hoping that Drew was going to do it personally because I was like, oh, okay, we're going to get Drew finally getting his moment 
at Mania that was robbed from him. But since they didn't do it and they got Brock, all right, we're going to still go with Brock and Roman. Still fine. Either way was fine with me. But I knew Roman, I knew Bad Bunny and Shane McMahon were not going to win the Rumble. So I'm not understanding why people are upset that Shane and Shane was literally in the Final Four. Yeah, sure, it could have went to somebody else. Yeah, sure, AJ Styles could have been in the last Final Four, which I hope that AJ would have won because AJ going against Roman at WrestleMania, Chef's Kiss again. I still stand to that. I still stand on that hill to this day. And I think the person we're going to fight get AJ Styles going against, well, Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania, even though we got AJ Styles inside the Elimination Chamber. I think Bobby's going to retain it, or if not Bobby, Seth, it will probably might get AJ and Seth. Who knows? I just want a good AJ Styles match at Mania. Personally, that's all I care about. I think if you look back at AJ Styles' matches at Mania, he had one against Jericho, which was all right. He had one against Shane, which was personally to me a great opening matchup for WrestleMania. Uh, the next Mania that he had was against Shinsuke Nakamura. That one was well underwhelming. They should have did well, but they just didn't hit. Uh, the year after that, it was him going against Randy Orton. That's not memorable like that. The year after that, him and Taker empty arena and Boneyard match. That was like the match. That was match A, one A or one B behind the behind or in front of the Firehouse Fun, uh, Firefly Funhouse of WrestleMania. And then last year it was him and Omos going against the New Day. If you look at AJ's WrestleMania like track record. He hasn't had, like, oh my god, this is AJ Styles at Mania match. We haven't had that yet. So, I want to see if, oh my god, this is AJ Styles at WrestleMania match this year. And I personally think that he should have had that with Roman Reigns. But, since we didn't get it, I'm hoping that we get it with a WWE Championship. That's what I want, and that's what I need to happen. Anywho. It has been reported that Shane McMahon has been quietly let go by WWE. I just want to let that be known. It's stupid. Shane has not been let go by WWE. If he has, how can you let somebody go from their inheritance? How can you let somebody go from a family business? It's the McMahon family business. It's Vince McMahon's business. It's Stephanie McMahon in the business. Shane probably has went off into other business ventures. Yeah, sure. But he has never, ever truly, and I mean truly, left the WWE. If the WWE truly needs him, guess what? Shane is going to come back to WWE, do something to make sure WWE stays afloat and gets about their business because he knows that's a family business. So him being fired by WWE, don't take that. Take it for a grain of salt. You can't fire somebody from their inheritance. You understand me? Now, I just want to let that get all out of the way. I don't want Shane to, I don't want people to say, oh my God, Shane this, Shane that. Listen, Shane tried to do his best with what he could do, and I had no problem with the Rumble, with the Men's Rumble. I had no problem with it. Yeah, sure, some of the guys shouldn't have been fired, and you would have been straight. But, hey, Shane worked with what he had to work with, and it is what it is. Now, with all that being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love all you. I love you all. I hope you guys tune into my episode tomorrow, Sunday. Uh, it will be greatly appreciated because I want to say thank you to every single one of you next week. Well, not next week, tomorrow. If you listen to it tomorrow, you'll hear why I say thank you. 
But if you don't, you I'll give it and break it down to you next week of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. But I suggest you listen to tomorrow's episode. But anywho, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, I am him. I love you all. I hope you have a great Saturday. I hope you have a great Saturday morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever time you listen to us. And uh, just please be safe. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.